So this morning, um, we're going to continue and look at chapter 3 today. Uh, just, uh, you know, by brief reminder, Peter, Peter's writing to people that live in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was a powerful, powerful uh, force, and these folks sort of submitted their life and trusted in that for their salvation. They trusted in the Roman emperor, they trusted in the senate, they trusted in the Roman legion, uh, and they, they would say, Caesar is Lord. And now, uh, this particular group have become Christians, and that's changed in their life. They're no longer placing their trust in the Roman empire, they're placing their trust in Jesus and saying, Jesus is Lord. And, it, and it's, it's a difference from the people around them. I don't know if you've ever been a foreigner, if you've ever been uh, in a place where you're not the norm there, where you're, you're the different one. Emmy has. She knows what that's like. We have. I have. I, I've had opportunity to travel in different parts of the world, and at different times you feel really weird. You feel awkward. The language, the customs, the culture, it, it's not what you're used to, and you, you, you feel very uncomfortable. Sometimes the language, even if it's English, isn't the same. Uh, Donna and I, in 1987, went uh, to Scotland with a vineyard team, and we did a conference in Edinburgh in the capital city, and then from Edinburgh, uh, we took a little satellite team and went all the way up into the northern part of Scotland to Inverness, which is where Loch Ness is. We got to go to Loch Ness. I did not see the Loch Ness monster. But that's sort of like the backwoods of Scotland, and the people there have a very, very, very thick accent, all of them. I remember with, we were staying in this home of this family, and we were eating dinner, just hanging out. They were really, it was really fun, but uh, we were watching the evening news, just the evening news, you know, on TV. And this gal comes on, she's the, the anchor person, looks like a typical news person, you know, she's nicely dressed, and, and, and she's talking, and she's, she's giving the evening news, and I'm listening, and I, I cannot understand a single word she's saying. I have no idea what she's talking about, and I'm like, what in the heck did she say? And they're laughing, they think it's so funny that I can't understand this, and she's actually speaking English, but this accent is so incredibly thick that uh, I had no idea what she was talking about. It was just weird, and sometimes it's like that. Sometimes, Living in, as a Christian in our culture today is a little bit like that. We feel like we can't relate. The language is different. The beliefs are different. The customs are different. And, and we, we feel like we're outsiders. Anybody ever feel like that? When, when we first moved here to plant this church, uh, I took a job at Home Depot for a little while. And I was working at Home Depot. It was really fun. I enjoyed it. Worked in the garden department. I loved the gardening. And it was just a glorious time. Um, but uh, the other employees there, you know, you, you build kind of, you have a kind of a uh, rapport, employee and employee relationship. And, and a lot of them knew that I was here to plant a church and that I was a pastor. And that was intriguing to them. They didn't quite get it, but they, they kept asking me questions. But sometimes we'd go out to lunch, you know, or whatever, and then they would, they would just be talking to me and, and they would use foul language. A lot of times, you know, just kind of drop the F-bomb in the middle of a sentence. And they would always go, oh, man, so sorry. <laughs> I go, that's okay. I, I've heard that before. It's not a problem. But I realized that even in their minds, I was different. There was something different. It wasn't the same. And their language was different than my language. 
Uh, the Christians Peter is writing to live in the end of the first generation of the church, and already they're beginning to suffer some persecution. The Roman Empire is not happy about who they are and what they stand for, so they begin to persecute them, and Peter writes to encourage them in the midst of that. That's the purpose of his letter. And in the middle of the letter, he writes a a little short passage that is something of a summary of the all-encompassing work of Jesus. How big and how wide is what Jesus did? And that's the passage I want to look at today, and I'll explain that a little further in a moment. But first, let's uh, just read it together. This is First uh, Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 18, if you're following along, and then going through to the end. And it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when Noah waited patient, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with the angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. All right, interesting little passage there. Our title today is Lord Over All. Uh, Let's say a quick prayer, and we'll take a look at it. Lord, thanks for your word. We pray that you would uh, cause your word to enlighten our hearts today and to give us a greater understanding of the magnitude of your work. your name we pray, amen. All right, before I go any further, I, I want to say uh, up front, this is a weird passage of Scripture, okay? And it's a controversial somewhat passage of Scripture, controversial only in that there are different opinions as to what it means, not controversial in that it should be there or not be there, but just people have very different perspectives of what it means. The tendency very often, just to be you know, completely honest today as a Bible teacher, is to skip over these things. And I will plead guilty. I have taught through First Peter at least twice before and did exactly that. Skipped right over this little section. Um, but I just thought, what the heck? Let's do it. Let's look at it because uh, I think it's important. I think it does have something for us. Deals a little bit with uh, the afterlife. What, ha- what happens when we die? And, and I would say this too. Those are always hard passages because uh, we don't know. It's hard to know. We have what Scripture teaches us, but it's, it's left a little bit to interpretation. Other passages of Scripture about the things of this life, you know, you go through something and you experience it, and then you go, oh, I get it now. I, this is what that's talking about. I've experienced that. I've been there. But when it talks about what happens when we die, we can't really do that. We don't have that same level of understanding. So we do our very best. We do our best to interpret Scripture the way that uh, we believe it is, and we realize that somebody may think something different, have a different perspective, and we, we want to respect that. So I respect the fact that somebody may think something different. They're wrong, I'm right, but that's okay. Here, here's what I, I believe is happening here, and here's why I, I want to talk about it. Um, the, the popular thought in, in sort of, you know, what I would call pop culture theology, there's sort of pop culture theology out there. The, the popular thought is that Jesus 
rules over heaven. God is in heaven, you know, and if you see a, a cartoon or maybe sometimes a comic strip and somebody goes to heaven, you know, usually Peter is there at the gates waiting to welcome them in, right? Uh, and then the devil rules over Hell, that's his domain, and by the same token, if you see a cartoon or a comic strip and somebody, you know, didn't do so well in life and they end up down there, usually Satan is there to welcome them and greet them in the door, and it's always a guy, you know, with the horns and the red suit and the little pitchfork and all that, and that's, so Jesus and God are here, Satan is here, that's kind of his domain. Uh, The problem with that is Scripture teaches us that Jesus is Lord over all of it. It's all under him. Heaven, earth, hell are all the domain of God. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says, I have the keys to death and Hades. I have the keys to death and Hades. I hold the keys to those places. I have control over all of it. Sometimes you might wonder, maybe you've asked this question, I I have wondered about it, but I've had lots of people different times ask me this question. What about all those people who never heard the gospel? I, you know, I saw this Discovery Channel thing about uh, this guy. There's a dude in Brazil in the Amazon forest, and they believe he's the last living member of his particular tribe. And he's just out there living in the jungle, and nobody really has been able to get in touch with him. And, you know, you go, what about that guy? You know, what, what does, he, nobody's ever preached the gospel to him. He, he, you know, what about, and depending on your theories of history, you know, what, what about people that lived in far corners of the world? What about cavemen and Neanderthals? What about uh, all these different people who never heard the gospel? What happened to them? And again, in our pop culture theology, we tend to place a lot more emphasis on the afterlife, I believe, than Scripture does. It becomes the thing. But the main point of Scripture really isn't the afterlife as much as it is abundant life. The primary focus of Scripture is living life in the presence of God and all that that entails. For example, if you read the book of Acts, and I would encourage you to maybe do this, do a little survey, uh, there are eight sermons recorded throughout the book of Acts by either Peter or Paul. So those are the earliest examples of the apostolic gospel being preached. What What were the earliest people preaching about the gospel? And in those eight sermons, Peter and Paul never once mentioned the afterlife. Never once do either of them ask, if you died tonight, do you know where you would go? Not there. Doesn't come up. It's it's, it's not an issue. They never say, here's how you go to heaven, and if you aren't good, this is how you end up in hell. They don't talk about that. The focus of all of those different sermons is, Jesus is king. Jesus is, there's a, there's a new king in town, and Jesus is his name. And you can come into his presence and walk in his kingdom. That's the focus. Peter, in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, preaches a powerful sermon. We know it's a powerful sermon 
Because 3,000 people got saved that day. And what does Peter say in that sermon? He says, save yourself from what? This corrupt generation. Save yourself from the corruption that's filling the world today. Don't walk in that. You can remove yourself from that corruption by accepting Jesus into your life. That's the focus. So, there are a few passages, including this one that we read this morning, where those things of the afterlife are touched on, but they're never the central issue. The central issue is always walking our life out in Christ. So what this passage says, and this is where how I interpret it, it's this one, and then there's Ephesians 4 and a couple other spots. There were hostages being held captive in hell, Jesus stages a rescue operation. So he becomes like, you know, the seal, one-man SEAL team. And he goes in, and he gets them, rescues them, and brings them out. Now, okay, look, before you go, what the heck are you talking about, you know? Let me just say I'm not alone in this theory. Um, the Apostles' Creed, which is one of the traditional, original church creeds that is held, upheld by Pretty much everybody <laughs> uh, says this. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's pretty good. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in God, the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son. Our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried, and descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, and Catholic small c there, meaning the universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Central Orthodox theology. And it includes this idea that Jesus descended into hell and uh, set the captives free. Second and third century theologians, many of them write about this. Uh, Reform, the Protestant Reformation, both Calvin and Luther uh, held this belief. Brogan? Every church needs one reformer. Um, the, uh, I love, I, I have grown in the last few years, I think I've shared this with you, to really re- appreciate and respect the Orthodox Church. Some friends of ours that Don and I grew up with uh, have become part of uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church. And I just love the expression of faith. And in that tradition, they use icons, pictures uh, a lot to present their theology. And I was looking at different icons of the resurrection of Jesus. And it's interesting. Jesus is never depicted as being resurrected by himself. He's always bringing people with him. Gosh, turn the lights off for a second, somebody. There you go. So Jesus is there. You see he's pulling people up with him. There's another one. You can't see really good, but it's like saints and sinners. There's like saints on one side and sinners on the other side. And Jesus has an arm outstretched to both of them. He's bringing everybody with him. The resurrection of our Lord. And again, you can't see, but down at the bottom, there's kind of like some people in hell. And Jesus is at resurrection, rising up from the dead and bringing people with him. Okay, go ahead and... Flip it back on there. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, puts it very succinctly. He says, God placed all things 
under his feet, and he appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. All right. So the point is simply this, that as followers of Jesus, we are not necessarily putting our faith, putting our trust in a specific perspective of what happens when you die as much as we are putting our faith in the reality that we are in Christ. Does that make sense? We are in Jesus Christ. In this particular text we're reading today, Peter compares Jesus to the ark, and he says Jesus is the ark of salvation. In the same way that the people that were in the ark were saved, those that are in Christ will be saved. Jesus descended to hell, he ascended to heaven, and all the principalities and powers, all the authority structures, everything uh, of this life is under his control. It's all under his feet. Uh, You know, the people that he's writing to, again, they've been taught to believe their whole life that salvation would come to them through the Roman Empire. Rome was the greatest political power on the planet. And they were safe and secure because of that. The Roman legion was the strongest, most powerful army on the planet. And they were safe and secure because of that. Peter says, those things aren't going to keep you safe. Your security does not lie there. Your security lies in Jesus and everything else. All the powers, all the authorities, all the armies, all everything is under him. All right. It's a weird message, I know. Uh, But here's the deal. What does this mean to us? What does this have to do with living in Portland, Oregon today in the 21st century? I think it means this, that if Jesus is Lord over all, Jesus is Lord over all. That's what it means. It it, it, It means that our faith, our trust is not in empire. It's not in the society, the structures, uh, the powers of this age. We either have faith in Jesus or we have faith in those things. Empire manifests itself really in three ways, political, military, and economic power. And so much of the world that we live in today, and this is what makes us exiles and foreigners, puts their faith in those things. And yet we don't. If our faith is in those things, we all understand, I believe, that they can come to an end, right? They can come to an end. Uh, I was, the news, I was completely astounded at this deal a week or so ago, I don't know, 10 days ago, Facebook stock took a dive. Anybody notice that? Facebook stock plummeted. Mark Zuckerberg, CEO of Facebook, lost 15 billion, with the B, 15 billion dollars in a day. One day, the guy lost $15 billion. I can't even comprehend that. I have no idea what that looks like. I, you know, you lose money, right? You lose money on different things. Oh, I lost 20 bucks. I lost 100 bucks. Whatever. The guy lost $15 billion in a day. If you trust in that, God bless you. Uh, you know, we, we can trust... You know, in empire, we trust in military power. Well, we're safe, we're secure, because we have the most powerful army in the world. And 50 years ago, they lost a war to a tiny little country in Southeast Asia. You know, our trust is not in those things. Our our trust and our faith is in Jesus. And the only thing that we can be confident of salvation in is in him. Amen? 
Amen. Time's up. Let's stand. Cindy, uh, you know, I want to take time for prayer. And, and a couple things uh, as we pray today. So Wally mentioned the men are going to help and move next weekend. And our dear friend, Ann Burgess, who's been with us for an eternity, is going to be with her family and, and uh, is leaving. And so we want to pray for Ann. So if some of you guys who know Ann and have been blessed by her, she's in the back there with Donna, go back and, and pray with Ann. We'd love to just, just bless her as, as she goes. Ministry team, if you guys would come to the front, we also want to pray for anybody who has needs today. And let me just say this. I, I just feel strongly that two things. One, first of all, the world we live in is, is a confusing place. And right now, I feel like the boat's rocking. I just feel like nothing is solid and secure in this life today in, in the world. It just seems like everything is woo. I mean, that's this whole thing of $15 billion. But I just everything just to me seems to be rocking. So... If you're struggling, if you have fear over those issues, we'd love to pray for you today. Just don't worry. God's in control. He's been there before. He's seen this. Uh, second thing, I just feel like us personally as a church have been uh, under the gun lately. It's just been a, a season where it's really hard. It's been a hard season, and we're, it's not over. We're in a hard season right now. I loved uh, the song this morning that we sang that Tucker wrote, which is really written out of the heart of God of our church for this church at this time. And that's just that we trust in you. We look to you. And we know you're going to come. We don't know when. Uh, so if you're struggling personally today and need prayer, I would invite you to come and let uh, some of our team pray for you. So let's just close with prayer. Father, thank you for your word and that you are in control. You're in charge. You are God of all. You are Lord of all. Heaven and hell, Lord God, are under your feet. You have us in your hands, and we trust you today. We really do. We believe in you. We trust in you. Our faith is in you and nothing else.